0: This episode is brought to you by the Mass Foundation. If you're found in possession of the unauthorized biography of Ezra Mass by Daniel James, we know who you are. We are coming for you. Welcome to season two, episode 26 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Brad Kelly. Brad is the author of the novel House of Sleep, and he is a co host of the podcast Art of Darkness. Welcome to the show, Brad. Hey,
1: thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: How's life in Michigan?
1: It's uh, kind of cold and rainy for May, but it's it's okay. You know, uh, we're we're used to it up here now. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad.
0: All right, let's start with Out of Darkness. It's a podcast we sure. host with Kevin Katzman. It explores the dark and esoteric side of the creating of creating art, and I actually really love it. You featured Frank Herbert recently, Walt Disney, Virginia Woolf, Stanley Kubrick, among others. Could you tell us a bit more about the podcast and give us a couple of your favorite stories from the podcast?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, as you said, um, Art of Darkness, artofdarkpod.com. Um, you can find us on Twitter and, and whatnot. Um, we do, um, it, the, the show is kind of a, it's got two components, a core episode in which we, we do a heck of a lot of preparation um, into the biography and work of an artist. Um, and then kind of present it to the audience in somewhat of a conversational style. Um, Kevin Kautzman, the playwright, um, he is my co-host. We take turns. So one episode will be the episode that I've prepared for. Kevin comes in cold. He just knows whatever he happens to know about that person, whether it's um, Frank Herbert or Johnny Cash or Franz Kafka, and, and sometimes he knows quite a bit, and sometimes it's a totally new person to him. We have slightly different tastes, but they kind of over, overlap enough that we um, we generally uh, we at least respect the same artists if we're not equally obsessive fans of the same people. Um, and then and then we'll swap the next time. You know, Kevin will prepare an episode and he'll he'll present it to me. I'll come in cold. Again, sometimes I'll know something about them. Sometimes I I won't know anything. We sometimes have guests on for that, um, which is fun. Um, they get to be involved in our like manic process and, uh, they've all been great. Um, and, uh, uh, The other aspect of the show is we do dark room episodes, which are a little bit looser, but we will bring in somebody to talk about a subject we've already covered. Sometimes those are just friends of ours from the internet world that come on who have a special interest in that subject. And other times they are people who really know quite a lot about them. We had, um, for instance, we had the uh, Carl Rawlison, uh, legendary biographer who's wrote a two volume biography on William Faulkner. He came on and and talked to us about William Faulkner. Um, We've had... uh, the biographer or recent biographer of Pamela Coleman Smith, the illustrator of the writer waite smith tarot deck, she came on and talked to us about Pamela Coleman Smith. And we've got a number of other episodes like that that lined up. Um, yeah, so kind of favorite episodes for me have been, uh, you mentioned telling kind of the stories from it. Part of the story of it for me is like getting completely lost in, in these characters. So So studying James Joyce frenetically for a month, to prepare a three and a half hour episode on primarily the life, but also the work of James Joyce, I got uh, uh, almost manic. <laughs> you, you get, you kind of get into the headspace, and he's a writer that I was familiar with. I, I'd read Ulysses. Um, I'd failed to read Finnegan's Wake, like a lot of us. Um, I'd read <laughs> I'd Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man. I'd pretty much read the the, the whole the whole oeuvre of Joyce, and then reading into his life, I got. Uh I got a little um, I got a little crazy, to be honest, just kind of like understanding where he w- was at and, and, and his relationship to his daughter. And you know, people might not know about James Joyce. Um, his daughter Nora, was what we would probably we might now call a schizophrenic. She certainly was she certainly was a manic depressive or bipolar. Um, and she was actually uh, under the treatment of Carl Gustav Jung for a while. And, and Carl Jung met James Joyce, which to me is, if this was my style, I would write like a play or a short story about those two people meeting. I think those are two fascinating early 20th century figures who kind of play off of each, could play off of each other a little bit. But the personalities, um, Joyce thought the psychoanalysts were ridiculous um, and yet he, to me, was one of the preeminent psychoanalysts of the 20th century in a way, um, with his, you know his, his, his stream of consciousness style and the, the approach he, he had to the human psyche and um, how he changed the, the, our, our ability to, to write what the conscious experience is like. Um, it felt to me like he and Jung are almost peers, but they could not see eye to eye. Jung believed that Joyce, and his his um, his daughter, who was put into an asylum eventually and, and never came out, um, because she'd she'd gotten violent. She would run away. She was, you know, she wasn't able to function really in 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 modern world. And in those times, you just kind of, unfortunately, particularly women, you kind of just put them away and threw away the key. That's sort of seemingly how it often worked. Um, Jung said that James and his daughter swam in the same river but he was able to actually swim and she drowned and that always that really res that really kind of shook me up to think that like joyce was able to somehow able to somehow master these waters metaphorically speaking that would drive another person insane and then you kind of start to wonder like well how many other creative people are are well either drown or swim in those waters um And we found, I think, through Art of Darkness, we're finding a lot of them who, uh, Annika Vaughn, the great um, English writer of Ice and Machines in the Head and a number of other works, she drowned in them, you know, and and she was a massive talent. Um, And some others managed to manage to kind of stay afloat throughout, you know, they managed to manage to to get to the other side and and live a, a long and fruitful, if not always happy life. So, so anyway, that's kind of what Art of Darkness is about. Um, Yeah, we release at least two episodes a month, Um, three up to, I think we just did a Robert Bolaño episode. It was about three and a half hours. You know, we had to do his whole life. Those massive, amazing books that he wrote, Savage Detectives in 2666. Had to give them their due. Um, And uh, yeah, if if people are into any of those artists, they should check them out. Some other people we've done, um, William S. Burroughs, like I said, Franz Kafka, William Faulkner, James Joyce, Anika Vaughn, uh, Zora Neale Hurston. Um, and we do, we, since we're both writers, we lean a little heavier towards the writers, but it's not strictly writers. We've done an episode on Marlon Brando, Stanley Kubrick, um, Johnny Cash, the great American blues man, Junior Kimbrough, um, Oh, I'm missing a ton of people. I'm sure we did an episode on MF Doom recently, which uh, was a little uncharacteristic for us, but was uh, was a little bit of a labor of love for me personally. So, yeah, yeah, check it out, ArtOfDarkPod.com.
0: The best thing about this podcast is I think it's got endless potential. You could run this forever and never yeah. run out of people to to talk about. Um, but I was mm. the Bolano sounds amazing. But who else have you got coming up?
1: Yeah, we're going to be doing an episode. Uh, next month actually no in a couple of weeks on Robert Aikman the great English writer of uh, Strange Stories Um, we've got an episode on um, Philip K. Dick coming up in a couple of uh, probably in July Um, we've also got an episode on Hieronymus Bosch which um, is a little bit we like to just mix things up you know as soon as it gets like predictable a little bit, we're going to do something a little odd. So Hieronymus Bosch will be interesting because almost nobody knows anything about his life. I mean, Mm. you know, we're not doing original biographical work. We're digging into the the existing stuff. So um, that's going to be, I'm not even sure that's going to be my responsibility. I'm not even sure how I'm going to handle it yet. (laughs) It's probably going to be a lot of speculation, Um, but we'll talk about the work and we'll talk about the context he worked in and that sort of thing um we're going to be doing eventually later this year we'll be doing john williams the author of stoner and butcher's crossing um we'll be doing uh oh who else are we doing we've got a number of them coming up um we're going to do norm mcdonald the the comedian norm mcdonald in the fall both kevin and i are huge fans of him it was heartbreaking when when we lost norm mcdonald um and uh yeah, I think that's kind of what's on the that's the sure the sure things we're doing Aleister Crowley for Halloween so with a, <laughs> with a great um with the great uh, medieval scholar uh and uh sort of esoteric nerd of the esoteric I hope she wouldn't mind me saying that uh, Stephanie Leahy so that'll be that'll be a great episode I think
0: uh that is that sounds like so much fun um yeah. Obviously, you have an interest in this area of the esoteric um, and the Mm -hmm. strange. Um, It comes through your novel, especially, um, and obviously your podcast. What sparked your interest in that area? And are there particular aspects of it that you're interested in?
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, it's a good question. Like what, yeah, what does get one started in sort of being interested in these things? I, I think I would have, I'd be remiss if I didn't admit that part of it is just the aesthetics of it, right? It's just, some of this stuff is just kind of cool, old wood carvings and, and, you know, and, 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 and things like that. And, and a lot of great artists have put a tremendous amount of talent and time into creating texts and imagery around this stuff. So I think part of it was probably that initially, um, but what really sparked my interest in, um, particularly the particularly the tarot, and I've done a lot of reading about stuff that's tangential to the tarot to help me understand what the tarot is. Um, and it's an ongoing process, but um, I got a reading from a woman, um, gosh, eight or nine years ago now, ten years ago now, um, and. Um, I was skeptical. To me at the time, I was like, well, this will be interesting. This is a cool way to kill 10, 15 minutes or whatever. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wouldn't say I was like sort of arms folded totally, you know, this is, this is nonsense, but I it didn't really, I, I hadn't, I didn't have anything invested in it. And she gave me this reading. And at the end, um, I had goosebumps and I was like, honestly, I was a little teary eyed and like what she'd said made perfect sense to me. And I was like, well, I, I have to understand this process. Like, I have to understand, like, what, what did you just do, and why did that work, and um, do I have to accept like magic now, or do I, or is there something else at work? And I still don't have a good answer to that question. Um, but what I did find from there, so from there, it was just like, okay, buy a pack of tarot cards and try to understand what these, what's going on here um and then you buy a book that purportedly explains them to you and they make references to other books and then okay so you get some of those books and then you you read into that and you're like well you know what um you kind of need to know at least a functional knowledge of Carl Jung to really understand what's going on okay so you read some of that and then you you read oh now I need to know like I need to understand some uh, it seems like I need to understand some Christian hermeticism so you end up reading a little bit of that enough to be dangerous and um it, it, it actually ends up serving as this serve for me as this kind of wonderful locus of an of a intellectual pursuit, really. And, it's, and eventually you start being able to apply all kinds of things. I, I just started reading um, uh, some work on the Kabbalah because I've come to understand that um, for me to continue to understand this system, I, I need to probably understand the Kabbalah at a much deeper level than I do now. Um, and then I think part of the appeal for me and the tarot specifically is it's, it's all symbolic. So as a writer, I mean, I came to it as a writer already. Um, it's all symbolic. It's all metaphorical. And when you do a spread, you're telling a story. You're putting two symbols next to each other and you're trying to explain what the relationship between those is. So it's almost like a writerly exercise, just trying to do a reading, actually. It's almost like a, I, I think it would be a great, it would be great for young writers and, and old writers, but just do a spread and say, make all that make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Tell a story with just these pictures and it would gets it gets those, it gets those writerly juices flowing for sure. So, um, so yeah, I hope that kind of answers that question, but for me, it's, it's, it's also, there's an intellectual and a sort of an aesthetic interest, but there's also a personal interest to me. I mean, I give myself tarot readings. I give friends and family um tarot readings anybody who asks for them and, and generally they find them pretty useful I think that's the that's the feedback that I get so far um, it's really helpful for it's really helpful for figuring out um, what you're thinking and maybe why you're doing things and maybe get a sense of what you should do next and it, it seems to be really productive in that way
0: hmm. let's move on to your fantastic novel house of sleep sure the setup is two essential characters Lynn and Daniel both have traumatic events occur um they meet in the house of sleep which is a mysterious kind of therapy center i guess and it's run by this guy the diving man who's fascinating could you tell us a bit more about your book and your central characters
1: sure yeah yeah i mean you you nailed it that's that's the that's the premise for sure um uh yeah the, the focuses on these two characters who are are very different from the outside lynn is um as you said is is sort of suffered a tragedy and she's she's trying to close the loop on that she's trying to get some closure um uh i don't think it's given away too much she says has a, there's a sudden death of a loved one and she's 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 going she's looked for all of these different avenues in order to to kind of heal that pain and come to some kind of closure um and she finds herself at the house of sleep um not even really sure how she knows about it. It's, it's, she, she's in a fugue state of, of grief in a way. And um, she meets, you know, there's a 20 some other people there who are also undergoing this um, kind of cathartic therapeutic um, uh, perhaps cult like uh, scenario up on this plateau at the house of sleep. And um, you know, she's a, she's a, and she was an interesting character for me to write. This is the first I'd written short stories with that had a a female lead. Um, but there was I had never attempted anything book length of like that and was intimidated at first. And then by the end felt completely natural with it, to be honest. Um, I think there can be some uh, trepidation about trying to do that. And I think you just like many things, I think you just have to do it and just try to be honest about what's working and what's not. And, and, you know, be, try to be careful and and try to be um, try to just make it as good as you can, just, just like anything else. So, so she undergoes this process and, and she meets the diving man and, and at the house of sleep, the, the, the therapeutic, if you want to call it that approach is that um, they're all remembering their dreams as, as, deeply and clearly as they might remember the day before and that's and through this there's going to be some kind of spiritual growth is the idea another character that comes there is uh this young man daniel who is uh who's afflicted with a a disease of some kind um and he is a refugee from his father who is some kind of religious nut who lives isolated on a farm and has kind of kept him isolated, has kept Daniel from isolated from the world. And so Daniel has finally escaped his father. The last straw has kind of happened and he's sort of, um, you know, barely made it to this house of sleep. He didn't even really know where he was going to go, where he was going. And so he also, he also involves himself in this process. And the diving man is this uh, uh, charismatic guru figure who, who, is hosting all of these people and he may have uh he may have other intentions other than just healing what's wrong with you
0: mm. i don't want to give too much away but the novel goes into dreams and mind control mm-hmm. psychedelics and natural reality relationships um like yeah. there's probably like you know some kind of cia psyop somewhere in the background um yeah i what, think that's probably true <laughs> yeah what was some of the influences uh writing this book yeah, I mean, that's that's
1: it's tricky. It's tricky understanding what other writers are influences sometimes, because by the time you're done, you've kind of pastiched so many influences together that it's difficult to distinguish them. Uh, things that are outside of other writers were um, my own participation in the New Age community, um, my, specifically in ayahuasca ceremonies, um, which were all none of them had nefarious, uh, nefarious characters in them, but, but, uh, or anybody with sinister intentions, as far as I know. But so some of it was from that, just the, um, the kinds of people that come to those things, the, the experience of, of setting out on something like a pilgrimage to have an experience for a for a specific, um, spiritual and or psychological goal. Um, so a lot of it came from that, um, In terms of other pieces of fiction that might have appealed to me, I mean, I can only really say writers that I like. So (laughs) um, stuff that I was reading a fair amount of then was, as always, was uh, Dennis Johnson um, and Don DeLillo. I think I actually came up with the idea for House of Sleep while I was reading Underworld by Don DeLillo. Um, The two books, I don't know that they have that much in common, Um, but there is, uh, I do find myself trying to imitate his perspective at times. So I would say that those were Dennis Johnson, uh, particularly already dead, um, and, uh, and Underworld by Don DeLillo were probably at the time it began anyway, were probably the two biggest
0: influences. It's got this whole Gothic element to it. It's, got this mystery to it that you can't kind of work out on the way through and it's got almost Mm -hmm. not quite a horror element to it but it did kind of remind me a little bit of things like Lovecraft or you know yeah or people like that but um it's such a great read so I really do thank you I really I really appreciate that
1: man I really do yeah that means a lot to me
0: now it's just a really it's a really enjoyable novel and it uh didn't go where I thought it would go so well done
1: yeah all right good (laughs) that's the goal that's the objective or part of the goal right yeah. yeah, you don't want it. You don't want it to be. You, get, you don't want the reader to get to the end to be like, "Oh, well, I saw that coming a mile away."
0: <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. do want to ask you um, about the ayahuasca ceremonies. How, how sure. is that? Yeah, um, it's in, it's incredible.
1: It's um, it's. I mean, I I've sat a number of times, um, and I would say you know it's not for everybody. So I, I don't go running out and doing it. <laughs> it's not that easy to go running out and doing it, do it anyway. Um, but you know, if you have an interest in, um, having a deeply meaningful experience that is also incredibly intense, I mean, it's one of the most intense things I think you can do. Um, I mean, full stop really. Um, then it might be for you. I mean, it's, it's changed the trick with it, not the trick, but the. the thing that is a challenge for it is it can really depending on what your preconceived notions are about yourself and about r- reality to be honest it can be jarring um i mean you i i personally had experiences in there that that can't really be ex- that i have to think of as being uh, psychic experiences or interactions with <laughs> supernatural entities. Now I'm not saying that's what they were, but from my experience, that's absolutely what they were. And so you kind of have to walk away from it saying, well, all right, what does my perception of reality allow for now? Am I going to dismiss that? Am I going to try and figure out how that could actually be the case? Like, And it's a, it's a, pro, it's a, it's a mystery that I, even if I never do it again, I'm probably, I'm going to have to wrestle with for, the rest of my life probably um, so there's that so that's that can be that can be challenging I think for some people i've gotten I've found it to be um, satisfying in a way to have a big excuse me a big old mystery um, put back into your life I think we live in somewhat disenchanted times and so where it seems like there's an explanation for everything you just google it um, and to have a big Uh, to have a big question mark suddenly put in place where you thought you kind of had stuff figured out. um, I think is, it's, it's, it it was important for me. Um, Yeah, there, there, you know, there's been a rising awareness of, of, of ayahuasca. And I think um, that leads to, some positives and some negatives I and mean, some positives are there's more people who are going to have access to it in the right and proper and appropriate manner and are going to get a lot of benefit from it. Um, and then there's also going to be cons. There's going to be people who um, get scammed. There's going to be people who get abused. There's going to be people who shouldn't have taken it and, and didn't do the proper precautions and so end up having psychological issues. Um, it's It's not it's not entirely safe, you know, and, and I think there was a time where we allowed for things to not be, uh, not be entirely safe sometimes. Um, and so this is, this is a little bit like that. There's a little bit of a vision quest element, and, you know, (laughs) you don't always know how, how a vision quest is going to go. Um, it, it, you might have to go through some dark times to come out on the other end. And I, I certainly did um, in, in the ayahuasca experience. So, yeah, (laughs) I don't know if that answers your question. I don't have a, I need a prepared ayahuasca spiel. On the other hand, with all that, it was also one of the most, it's been some of the most beautiful experiences of my life, just love and lights and music and, and, um, you know, deeply meaningful experiences for me uh, that I'll carry with me forever.
0: Yeah. So I suppose we were talking just before about the, the fact that liminal places like tunnels and sewers and, mm-hmm. and, you know, the DMT ayahuasca realm is really, really yeah. interesting. Going on to that, like, let's talk about your work as a civil engineer, getting into, sure. like, you know, some of those places.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we were talking a little bit before. I am, a, my day job has been for a long time, other than diversions for to get my MFA and things like that has been a civil engineer. And in the last few years, that's meant working on sewers. And that has meant often going into sewers, Um, which, you know, at first it seemed like, Hey, that's just, that's a job. And they'll, you know, they'll paid reasonably well for it. And we took all necessary precautions, but, you know, ultimately was going down into hundred and 120 year old sewers to, to check them out places that, you know, it's right under our feet and, you know a handful of people uh, have ever been even been down there um and it's it's uh sometimes cramped spaces it's wet it's dark um you have to take a lot of precautions to make sure that it's safe and to make sure that you can get out safely and to make sure that people know where you are um there are they're not sometimes all that well understood what is even going on down there. So if you come to intersections or side tunnels coming in, it's not clear. It it maybe isn't known where they go. So there's a little bit of a labyrinth down there. Um, And, you know, at first this was sort of like, well, okay, that's just, you know, this is something that I do for a living. And then as I started working on um, uh, the book I'm working on now, those experiences going down there started to really resonate with me for for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is the disorientation. So you can go down there and I've spent eight hours in a sewer, right, without coming up. And when you come out, you lose complete track of time. So three hours can feel like a half an hour, a half an hour can feel like three hours. It's very disorienting. And I'm sure there are, Um, neurophysiological explanations for this, you know, you're not in touch with sunlight. So you're losing track. I'm sure there's all kinds of great explanations for why that's the case, but it's very disorienting. And oftentimes you'll go in one place and you'll walk a long ways and you'll come out another place. And that is also very disorienting. And so um, then I got very interested in just like, what is the what is the underground meant over time? And so I've been reading a lot lately about like, um various religions that have taken underground seriously like the, the Mithras cults that were sort of in competition for early Christianity where they would build these temple these these temples underground and had some sort of ritual ceremony and it had to be underground they were all underground um and just the notion that okay we do that they people did that but we also we we bury our our dead in the ground and we put our sewage in the ground and we bury our nuclear waste in the ground And cave art has always been significant. And, and, you know, back in very much pre-modern times, prehistoric, paleolithic times, people were making extensive journeys underground to create art in these probably spaces they considered sacred for some reason. And so all of that... uh, and I started that, well, there's a little bit of that in house of sleep, but I didn't know what I was doing with it yet. It was just sort of there. And now I feel like I'm, it, it's interesting because I'm I'm trying to understand what these, what this means. And I feel like I'm digging, I feel like I'm excavating it and digging a little deeper all the time. And that process has been um, rewarding, to say the least. Yeah. Mm.
0: Can you finally answer the question? Are there giant albino alligators living in the soils? <laughs> not the,
1: not where I am. No, no, there aren't. Um, yeah, there's a lot of unsettling things down there, though. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that.
0: Did you find any mole people?
1: Didn't find any mole people. No, the hmm. strangest thing I ever saw. Oh, it's 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 kind of the strangest. So I saw a lot of strange stuff down there. The strangest thing I ever saw though was two rats. One sitting on top of the other and they just stared at us and -hmm. like watched us as we went by, but they were both moving their head at the same time. It's very unsettling, as you could imagine.
0: Wow. And they were just
1: sitting like, I I don't know why the one was sitting on top of the other one. I still, it still gives me the (laughs) heebie-jeebies.
0: Maybe they were Siamese yeah. twin rats. They,
1: they could have been. Yeah. I mean, it's very possible they could have been. I wasn't going to get that close to investigate. So, <laughs> yeah, who knows what.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned it briefly, uh, what you're working on at the moment. Do you want to tell us mm-hmm. a little bit more about your new novel?
1: Yeah, sure. It's, it's, about, um, it's about a crew of guys who work in sewers um, and they uncover it's probably more speculative even than house of sleep they uncover a um they get lost let's put put it this way they get lost down there and when they come out they're in what could best be defined as a different reality um and the rest of the book is them trying to get home going back in trying to come out trying to find different ways out trying to survive down there um and it's a little bit of an adventure story in that way. Um, but, um, but very much in the form of, of hopefully a psychological thriller to an extent, um, with, you know, with literary touches for sure. I think, um, I think anybody who read, who reads house of Sleep and enjoys it, I think will enjoy it. I think I'm doing some of the same stuff from a kind of a psychological and, 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 um, perspective standpoint um and so these these guys are within the sewer trying to figure out this space and what it is and what's going on and how to escape it how to live through it and also starting to understand that when they exit when they climb out they they somehow have control of where they end up but they can't seem to figure that out either right it's it's clear that they're influencing it but they don't know how they're influencing it so it's it's um, and in a certain sense, they're, they're kind of lost in their own minds as well. And the book is about them trying to, trying to get home.
0: Sounds really exciting. I'm looking forward yeah, to it. I hope
1: it is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Shall we move on to your gateway books? What were some of the books that sure. the doors of Lit for you? Yeah,
1: I love this. I've lived, listening to your show. I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be a, this is going to be a fun <laughs> part. So uh, gateway books, um, things that really, I got, I got to go back in time because I, I've wanted to, Write and I did write even when I was like a little kid. So things that really opened things up for me, though, a big one was the short stories of Jack London. Uh, I, I believe it's a Penguin or maybe a Bantam collection, specifically called "To Build a Fire" and other stories. Um, I, they were just so. They're just so good. Um, I even read a couple recently, um, just out of curiosity, kind of like go back and see what these things, uh, you know, if they still hold up and a lot of them really do. They're just really well crafted to build a, a, a fire in particular is, is a br- just a brilliant little story. It, it It's not extremely it's not complicated or particularly sophisticated but it's just it has this wonderful little arc and just from a craft standpoint i think i think it was instructive to me like how do you put a story together um so that was that was big um even more so and i read all the i read i shouldn't say all i read a lot of the the jack london novels too and they're they're good white fang is good call of the wild is good um Uh, but the short stories were the thing that really like opened me up was like, Oh yeah, I could probably do that. Like I could write eight, you know, I could write an eight or a 10 page short story. I could probably sit down and do that or at least try. Um, um, so it was an introduction. It opened me up writing wise, but also really introduced me to short stories. I would say, another thing that was big when I was young, like elementary or middle school was, um, Stephen King's, the dark tower series, particularly the first book. Um, I think it's the gunslinger. Um, it was just, it was, there was something about this, it's in a different reality. It's maybe it's the future, maybe it's not. And then just the, for, if you've read it, you probably know the first book of that is very kind of straightforward. It's like a Western. It's, it's just, it kind of just happens and it's very crisp and very, very direct. The later books get kind of complicated and and they're, they're, I suppose they're, they're good. I don't really Stephen King isn't really something I return to, but that book in particular, The Gunslinger, really really cracked me open in terms of what you know what you could do with with a written word. And then two other ones were um, short stories of Franz Kafka, which I've read a lot of again recently. Particularly, we did an episode of Art of Darkness on Franz Kafka, and um, those hold up. I mean, those that that work is so that work is so brilliant, and learned so much from that about um, he. he The one thing I loved about Kafka, especially early on, and I've come to appreciate him at different levels, but early on, this sense that he was telling you a fable or something that felt allegorical almost, but it never neatly laid flat. Like You could never say what the moral of the story was, though it felt like there was one. And that was a really... That was a really mind-opening experience for me as a reader who wanted to learn how to write was sort of like not answering the questions even if you make it feel like the questions are being answered just making it and and that symbols shouldn't mean any symbolism that happens it shouldn't be obvious what it means if there's going to be any symbolism at all that that's sort of there's no point in even really doing that um so kafka was instructive for me on that and then a big one for me too was was, was jack kerouac's on the road um which again is kind of unfashionable now i suppose you've sort of fallen out of favor but i don't know for me it meant a lot reading jack kerouac and this you know uh i was very much as a working class kid you know with no real pedigree and here was this dude who was just bumming around the country and you know writing this book and it, it, it that meant a lot to me
0: wow well, okay yeah I'm- what are you currently reading? What are you looking forward to? What have you recently enjoyed?
1: Sure. Yeah, um, I do. Now with the podcast, like 90% of my reading is Art of Darkness prep. But um, what I've just finished reading yesterday, I think I'm done reading what I'm going to for Robert Aikman. And Robert Aikman is great. For people who don't know, he, he, wrote, um, he wrote short stories. Um, he called them strange stories. They kind of evolved out of a sort of a subgenre that was going on at his time. He was born in 1914, um, died in the mid eighties. Um, they, they evolved out of what were called ghost stories, which would be, you know, short stories, usually about ghosts or something supernatural very much like ghosts, um, and would be published in pulp magazines and things like that. And Robert Aiken kind of took that form and, um, elevated it. Um, they're they're not ghost stories. And a lot of times it's very unclear what exactly just happened. You know, was this in the in the mind of the character or did this actually happen? and And they're very well crafted. He was a very, he was a very particular, very genteel, um, uh, block by block. like if you think of writing as carpentry, this was these are like very well dovetailed. Pieces of cabinets or something, right? They're very, very well constructed. And so those have been really interesting. Um, um, I'm reading, um, I just started reading The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch for, again, for Art of Darkness. Uh, It's a book by Philip K. Dick, um, which I'm always down for a Philip K. Dick book. Um, It's one I hadn't read yet. Um, And I'm sure that my mind will be a little bit blown. Um, I'm sure that (laughs) it'll get me off thinking about some, some things I hadn't quite thought about yet. Um, He's one of those speculative fiction writers of his generation um, that really, really still holds up. He's not, he's not alone in that, but, but some of that stuff still feels really fresh. Um, And so I'm hoping, I'm hoping that's one of the, one of the good ones. Um, I'm uh, excited about um, my I try to read like at least one big doorstopper every year, um, and that this year is going to be um, Mernane's "A Season on Earth." I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know anything about it to be honest. I just know that I love the planes. and uh, why not read this this big, massive book? So, do you have you read Have you read that "A Season on Earth"?
0: No, I haven't read it yet. No? So, okay. I'll get to it at some point.
1: Yeah, I've heard. I've heard. I, I, sometimes I I don't know how you are, but like if it's an author that I, I I know already and the book specifically has come recommended, I won't look into it at all. Like mm. I won't read the blurb. I won't read the Wikipedia page. I will just open it. Yeah. I, that's kind of the best reading experience to me.
0: Yeah. It's um, great to dive into something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping that's good. And then of course, I'm looking forward to the the Cormac McCarthy books that are coming out. Me later too. This year. Yeah. Yeah which that's like the big literary news of the year I feel like cuz yeah. we all nobody expected those that that to actually happen and then it was two books instead of one book so how exciting mm-hmm. is
0: that I know yeah, yeah I've got them on pre-order and I think they're like coming in 200 days so
1: <laughs> okay the clock is ticking yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> yeah I'm re- very much looking forward to it well and you know yeah he's he, he's been an interest. he's an interesting author to read from he's one of the few authors where I've, I think I've read basically everything they've written and and he's one that's very interesting to go back to the beginning and watch this evolution. You know, um, the last the last couple books are surprisingly written in this very spare style. Um, it's still McCarthy, but like you go back to compare that to Outer Dark or Sutri or something. And it's like, what is he? It makes me very curious about what was the creative evolution that he got that, that got him to that it's like it's it's fascinating I, I recommend read, trying to read them like in chronological order for some for somebody who hasn't maybe read Cormac McCarthy yet
0: mm. well speaking of yeah. Cormac McCarthy which living mm-hmm. authors have carte blanche with you oh yeah <laughs> Cormac
1: McCarthy does um Don DeLillo does too um I haven't read the latest one to be honest um but um yeah I would I I would read basically anything that he's come out with and not that everything's been equally good from him. um, But underworld and point Omega and um, white noise for me by an immense amount of credit. Um, uh, And Rachel Kushner is probably my recent one. um, And I've only read the Mars room and uh, flamethrowers, but I was supremely impressed by both of those books and very much look forward to, you know, Catching up on, on the stuff I haven't read yet and whatever she has coming out next. So I would say those are my three carte blanches at the moment.
0: We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Brad Kelly. This episode is sponsored by the WHO. Are you sick of coronavirus? Want to try monkeypox instead? Available now everywhere. Use promo code WHO for 10% off your next pandemic. <coughs> We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time for Brad's Top Ten.
1: This is in no particular order. And um, I think other guests of yours have said the same thing, where it's like, well, they could change if you ask me tomorrow. But um, yeah, I would say, so uh, Top Ten. One is Tree of Smoke by Dennis Johnson um that book is that book is just amazing it's the when I try to explain to people sometimes like about creating meaning by putting two things next to each other and the meaning sort of being in between them sort of suspended by them tree of smoke is like my best example it's like it's just he's writing in all these different currents and somehow the book is actually all of the stuff that isn't written between them. That's actually what the book is. And it's so masterfully done. And it has so many amazing moments. Um, and it pulls zero punches. Um, I just, I, I am so deeply uh, fond of, of that book. Um, uh, Stephen Wright's Meditations in Green. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Um, that's
0: one. There's two that I haven't read of his. And that's why. Okay. Of so I haven't okay. read that. And I haven't read the UFO one.
1: Yeah, the UFO one is uh, it's got the great Stephen Wright sentences, but it's probably not. It, Meditations in Green I th- is, in my opinion, the best of his of his work. Um, it's just so it's you know, it's so psychedelic. It's such a it's a war novel, but it's so it's such a strange war novel. It's it's um, and I love Stephen Wright. Sentences and Stephen Wright paragraphs. I mean, I could have said any of his books really, but, but Meditations in Green is the one that has always kind of lived with me. Um, and, you know, I had um, my father was a Vietnam War veteran. So I've tried to read like the big Vietnam books to, you know, I guess that's the way. As a writer and a reader, you might try to understand something like that as you read the fiction. Um, and that one has stood out to me as, as well, Tree of Smoke, I guess. I guess I just said two in a row. Mm. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Meditations in Green is great. Um, uh, Labyrinths by Borges. Um, those Borges and Borges and Cormac McCarthy are probably two writers that i feel the most influenced by but um i try the hardest not to sound like or imitate it's like <laughs> because if you can't only cormac mccarthy can write that like cormac mccarthy and only borges can write a borges story so if you try to do either of those two things it's it's like too obvious or too um uh, it's gonna it's not gonna come off right you're not gonna be able to pull you're not the real deal you know only you know, it's only called champagne if it's grown in the Champagne Valley or whatever. Right. So um, but but Borges's labyrinths and any of his work is is just phenomenal. I, I can't I almost can't understand the creativity that that guy had. Um, and then that this that 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 style that at times is like you're just reading an, a, an exquisitely written encyclopedia or something. And it has a real appeal to me. And he does that. He does that like nobody else. Um under the volcano by Malcolm Lowry. Um, I don't even really know what to say about that book. Uh that book has moments that I probably have influenced me as a writer as much as anybody. Um it's just such a it's just such a monstrous, swampy, strange, beautiful book. Um, that, you know, when it wants to, it can just break your heart. Um, and yeah, that's probably one I'll read. I probably have read it a couple times. I probably need to read Under the Volcano again. There's just so many great moments in it. Um, what is that? 3 4. That's 4. <laughs> um, what else? Um, Peregrine the Peregrine or Peregrine by J.A. Baker. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. No. It's not a, it's not a it's not a novel. Um, it's J. A. Baker. I think he only wrote one book and he had some other nature writing and it's it's the premise of it sounds unbelievably dry but it's this guy in the English countryside who um, is basically bird watching for peregrine falcons Um, but the writing is just it's unbelievably good and he J.A. Baker I think the consensus is that he was going through some kind of illness possibly terminal while he was writing it and he never really says that but it's kind of there it's all about mortality and um and perspective and and you know he does these beautiful passages about occupying the perspective of a falcon um and walking around in this sort of bleak countryside and it's just a gorgeous gorgeous book um I can't say enough good things about about Peregrine by J.A. Baker um Stoner by John Williams which I think is is um I'm uh, I'm a late adopter to Stoner by John Williams but Oh, that book is great. I was talking about, I made the, the, I was talking about writing, looking at writing like carpentry before stoner is like the most perfectly constructed dresser drawers ever. It's just everything about it is he's the technique and the, and everything fits exactly right. And it's evocative and it, 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 it hits all the emotional cores and it's it's kind of terrifying in a and sad and beautiful and it's just it's just such a good in my opinion there's a sort of campus novel as a genre i don't see how you can write a campus novel after stoner exists i don't really see like what the point is almost and that's not to dismiss anybody writing a campus novel like go for it if that's what you want to do but to me that's like that's it that's the last one it's like writing a book about whale hunting like I'm not going to write a book about whale hunting, right? <laughs> seems <laughs> I guess you could, but it seems like it's already been done. So that's that's um, that's Stoner. I think that's uh, six, maybe. Um, uh, oh, Paul Oster's New York uh, New York trilogy. Um, just a cool. I mean, it's three very different books in a way, but th- he just did this great thing, sort of combining noir with surrealism that uh it it, he suspends this amazing mood and atmosphere in them um and you know he does this thing where like as writers we learn about and we think about and we try to um we try to defamiliarize things right we try to make it so that just an ordinary trip to the grocery store seems strange and paul austere does almost the opposite sometimes he does this thing where he makes the very unfamiliar familiar somehow and it and it has this sort of inverted effect on you as a reader which is to me extremely powerful um and that book is made out of three parts you don't have you could read just any one of the three and they're all pretty short i think city of glass is probably my favorite but they're all they're all just phenomenal They're so and they're so they're very efficient um they're like Twilight Zone episodes. If Twilight Zone episodes were like at the level of, you know, maybe winning a Pulitzer, like they're, they're great. I, I absolutely love the New York trilogy. Um, what else did I have on here? Um, maybe just one more. Um, this is kind of cheating. The Cities of the Red Night trilogy by William S. Burroughs. Um, everybody talks about, the, about Naked Lunch. And everybody talks about um, the cut-up novels, which don't really do the trick for me. To me, it's the great three books he wrote approaching the end of his life. I think the first volume came out in 1980 or so, um, and they're just—they kind of don't, in a way, they're almost incoherent in terms of having a consistent plot. But the things that he's doing with time and um, and sort of multiple realities. And uh, placing himself in the pl- in in the plot, but also kind of not the writing process, you know the the very strange Burroughs perspective on reality, which to me is uh, I don't even know how much of it I necessarily agree with, but is fa- absolutely fascinating, um, and. Yeah, it's just it's it's quite it's quite an accomplishment, and it's strange to me that it doesn't get talked about more often. To be honest, I think maybe people don't quite know what to do with it because it's so unusual. Um, And again, it's three books but you could probably read any of them by themselves i suppose it makes more sense to read it straight through but um, the third volume is the shortest and the best um, it's called the western lands it's a that's a great book very strange and it has these great like it wanders around and it will do it, it will do things where you're not sure what exactly is happening because he's bringing mythological figures like from egyptian mythology into like sort of current day but then he has like these a couple passages that are like these almost like these indiana jones adventure stories a little bit and then kind of wanders off into to you know the main character being a writer who's who's you know having visions from the past that he didn't live and it's 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 very very interesting so that's that's another book i could set of books i could probably read over and over again
0: Wow. Yeah. I think yeah. you've, you've got me a shopping list. I think I'm going to about Okay two of those. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> good.
1: Very good. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, we should probably wrap it up, but before okay. we go, do you want to tell us where we can get house of sleep and where we can listen to your fantastic podcast out of darkness?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, you can find me, uh, my website is Brad Kelly uh, that's K E B R A D K E L L Y E S que.com e.com um you can find find my book house of sleep there um and in other writings I'm, I'm doing uh writing a card by card series on the tarot which isn't uh necessarily explaining the deck but something like refracting them um i think they're i think they're I like doing them, so hopefully that means they're they're somewhat good and enjoyable to read. And I also have short stories and things there. Um, Art of Darkness. Um, you can find artofdarkpod.com. Uh, we're also I'm also very active. I run the Twitter for Art of Dark. Um, that's Twitter slash Art of Dark Pod. Um, and yeah, find us on uh, subscribe to us. Find us on YouTube, wherever we're 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 pretty easy to find. So
0: yeah I highly recommend both your book and your podcast thanks man I really uh, appreciate that yeah they're just fascinating um yeah I've just really enjoyed listening to your podcast especially and the book's great and um yeah everyone go out and buy it thanks so much for joining me
1: cool yeah thank you
0: Thanks once again to Brad Kelly. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at beyondzeropod and you can email us at beyondzeropod at gmail.com. We'll be back with your next episode next week.